Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. I want to welcome you to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry to audiences right around the world. Because we're new to the world of podcasts, taking time to give us a review or thumbs up or even share this episode will mean a great deal to us and allow us to reach more people with meaningful and hopefully deeply spiritual content that continually reminds us of Henry's writings, his encouragement, and of course, his reminder that we are God's beloved child. So with that said, let me take a moment to introduce my guest. Christina Crook is someone who has been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen. She herself is a poet, pundit, and I think of her as a modern-day prophet. She writes books, speaks, and podcasts. I interviewed Christina in 2020 on her book, Jomo, The Joy of Missing Out. She's released a new book, and it's outstanding, Good Burdens, How to Live Joyfully in the Digital Age. It is a book for our times that really helps us find the path to meaning and to joy. I've enjoyed this book and felt so freshly empowered by Christina's insights and challenges. A book is a little like a baby, Christina. I want to thank you for birthing this new baby. Thank you so much, Karen. Well, let's jump in where we are today. Almost two years into this worldwide pandemic, from your perspective, how has COVID changed us? Do you see us more entrapped and addicted to social media? By some accounts, we've sort of fast-forwarded our um, shift online by a decade due to the COVID pandemic. You know, the places where technology, you know, futurists thought we would be 10 years from now is actually where we are today in terms of how much of our lives have shifted online, our online spending habits, our remote work situation. So, I mean, it has absolutely transformed the ways that we live and it has been our lifeline. We've been 100%, nearly 100% dependent upon the internet for just about every one of our needs. Um, so in that respect, yes, I think it has exacerbated our digital addiction, our, our digital problems, but I also think it's opened up wonderful opportunities in terms of um, the ways in which we we build relationship and also the value we put on now on in real life experiences. I, I'd like to know, first of all, why you felt compelled to write this book. As I said, it's like birthing a baby. Why this book? Why did you birth this? Was it sitting there in your spirit after <laughs> Jomo? Or it, just take us on the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a book that had percolated for a long time, like many books do. I first encountered the the um, the phrase "good burdens" um, when I encountered the work of Dr. Albert Borgman, who was a Christian philosopher at the University of Montana, and he actually wrote about good burdens in his 1984 book, uh, "Technology in the Shape of Contemporary Life," and he describes good burdens as um, certain activities that once you get across a certain threshold of effort, that the burden of it disappears, it becomes a joy. Um, so, you know, the example of um, putting in the effort of creating a meal and gathering loved ones to sit down for it, we're actually recording this on American Thanksgiving, that is a burdensome thing, right? The creation of that thing, but it is a good burden. And I felt like at the beginning of COVID, which was an incredibly difficult time, I think, for absolutely every person on the planet, 
um, that we did have this opportunity to reclaim and shift from a passive, consumptive, technology-driven culture to prioritizing um, the goods in the real world. And I saw that happening in my neighborhood. I write in Good Burdens about um, the, the little funny signs, right? People putting signs up in their windows. There were, you know, houses in my neighborhood where they had... Um, they called it the ministry of silly walks, right? It's Monty Python and you can't, you know, you can't, you have to do a silly dance across the threshold of our home. Right. And we would do them because we were all so bored and we would walk around like, you know, the walks around the neighborhood where everyone's a lifeline. And I, and I saw these, these, I saw this grounding happening in choosing to take up these burdens, you know, these good burdens of, um, playfulness and community building and sitting on the porch and just looking out for someone to talk to. So this is a book very much influenced by what we all went through with COVID-19, but is not specific to the COVID-19 pandemic, I should say. It seems to be more of a response to FOMO, Mm. uh, which in a sense you understand so well. Maybe you can share with people what FOMO means and uh, and what, in a way, you're addressing. Mm -hmm. So FOMO is the fear of missing out, which psychologically is a phenomenon known as social contagion, which in the simplest terms is wanting what other people have or what other people appear to have, right? We, people seem, they appear to have certain things, for example, through social media, um, but there's no, there's no way of really knowing. Um, but FOMO, right, it's, it's the big push of consumerism is, is putting this, these beliefs in us, like, I don't have enough. I'm not doing enough. I am not enough, right? This fear of missing out that there's something more I should be reaching for and grabbing for. Um, and it, it's, it's a place of utter dissatisfaction because we never arrive at our destination because we can never have every experience. And the, and the, the really sickly, you know, the crucial part of the lie of FOMO is the belief that not only should we be doing everything, but that we can and we can't, right? Yeah, we, yeah. When we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to a thousand other things. And that is such an important reality to grab a hold of. And so Good Burdens is a response to FOMO in that it's, it's I hope, an inspiration and a challenge to us to choose just a few important things a few important vital relationships, a few major creative projects, a few, you know, community building efforts and really sinking ourselves into them, saying yes to a few things and saying no to the thousands of others. One thing you you speak so well about is the reality of how much we can be addicted to our digital devices, how much our life can become in a way, just observing the world go by, you know, through our, our phones or it's a life of passive consumption. And what what does it do to us? I mean, what are you seeing as as the crime in that or the, the loss in that? Yes, I mean technology's big promises is are are threefold. They're always promising the big promises are, you know, more convenience and more comfort and more control. But the reality is that's actually in opposition to the way that we work as human beings. We actually find joy in inconvenient things, like the inconvenient joys of relationship, which Henry was a master of, um, 
and so so yeah i'm writing in the book about the shift from the promises of big technology you know comfort control and convenience and shifting towards um care and community and creativity and this actually comes directly out of the research of a of a professor at the pratt institute in new york her name is dr pamela padlisak and she had people um, track their technology experiences and journals. And out of her study, she discovered that people who are happiest with technology actually use it differently. They use it for what I just said, they use it for care and community and creativity. So I think there is a way, in fact, I know there's a way studies show um, to live joyfully in the digital age, but it really does require intention and action. I'm very struck by the fact, you know, I, I will say this to, to our listeners, this is a great book to read. You're very informed and you bring a lot of people into the discussion, a lot of wisdom into the discussion. And I think that's really important. But it's also one in which we can be so, in a way, unconscious of what have, has become the dominant pulls in our life or what has become the dominant behavior. And I think in a way, you bring it back to some very good self-reflection and some very good ways of, of approaching things and, and ways of going forward from where we are right now. I, I really respect that. Thank you. I, I want to know, why did you choose that navigating the world of technology and its demands was going to be your life work? I mean, really, it is your life work. How did you end up there? Oh, this is a great question. Um, So, you know, it's been said that we write what we need to read. Um, So I think, I mean, I think for a number of different reasons. I I first began my studies at Simon Fraser University. It's a very liberal university. My, I focused on my studies in communication. And so it was quite a critical look at the ways in which mass communication has shaped um, both culture and individuals. And so I came into my career early on with the CBC in Vancouver with that lens and sort of held that, you know, uh, that critical lens throughout my life, but really where it began for me was we moved from Vancouver um, across the continent to Toronto and sort of in one fell swoop, all of my relationships or the majority of my relationships were all of a sudden mediated in one way or another through the internet. And I had a growing discomfort that I was, was quite heightened for me because of my, you know, because of my studies um, around the ways in which it was changing me. And I felt in many ways was not, you know, changing me for the better. And so, yeah, that's where it all began for me. Uh, I had a curiosity about what happened if I ditched the internet for a time. And so I gave that up for 31 days um, and then wrote about that experience for a number of um, magazines. I wrote a number of essays and uh, that's, led into my first book and and here we are today (laughs) so it was by choice and also by yeah I would say by truly by God's leading yeah yeah that's that is really interesting I mean I I I see you as being my kind of expert I'm turning to and 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 a resource I'm really appreciating for this um I love the book because you know at the heart of it it grants permission to pursue joy. You know, when you see that title, Good Burdens, Burdens doesn't feel joyful. But tell, <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. You have wonderful, you have wonderful uh, subheadings within the book. One of them that I like right at the beginning is the algebra of joy. Mm. And then joy keeps cropping up. Tell us, tell us a bit about joy mm-hmm. and how this connects, well, how this is woven into your book. So, um, 
it's all about joy, <laughs> which makes me wish it was just joy, you know, in the title. But I, I, I felt like we need to have this conversation about what truly brings joy. And it is these more burdensome things. And, and I want to just reframe the word burden before I get into also understanding the word joy a little bit more closely, if you can indulge me, sure. which is that I made this amazing discovery when I was doing a word study for this book around burdens. And that is that a ship's capacity is called a burden. And I, I was just like, you know, I had all the goosebumps in the world, you know, those moments where you make this aha moment and like everything starts connecting together. Um, because that's what good burdens do. They, they create capacity. They, they make more of us. And I think the most joyful activities in life do that. They create more capacity in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits, in our bodies. And so I just wanted to sort of put that to the side about why it needed to be around this idea of burdens. Um, joy. So right in the dictionary definition of the word joy are the words well-being and success. And so that's the algebra of joy. It's not really algebra. <laughs> <laughs> it's well-being plus success equals joy. And I define well-being and success in, in a very specific way. I define well-being as having a positive relationship with your abilities and your limits and success simply as the achievement of your goals. And we need most of, both of those things to be present um, in the experience of joy. Um, we all need direction. And we all need well-being, which comes by way of relationships. Um, you know, engagement and, you know, important work, all these different things. Um, but yeah, so joy is central to this conversation because it's what we all want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we all want to experience joy. And um, so that's why this is so, so central to the work. And so um, throughout the book, you actually, it's quite interactive. Uh, you're actually over the course of the book, you create your own list of 100 joys. And it's because I made this discovery. I was interviewing Dr. Ellen Langer, who's, you know, widely considered the mother of mindfulness. She uh, was the first tenured woman professor at, in the psychology department at Harvard. And I was interviewing her on my podcast, and the JomoCast. And she was telling me that um, the definition of mindfulness is just actively noticing new things. And I started to pay attention to the experience of joy and not just mine, but my community members, my friends, um, all the people around me. And there were two things present in joy. There was always some sort of attention. Like you need to be attentive to it, right? You can be having a joyful experience, but like miss it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you could mm -hmm. be in it, but you're not in it. You know what I mean? You can miss it like a gorgeous sunset and you're just like distracted mm -hmm. and not attentive and also effort. And so there was something about nurturing, noticing the things that bring us joy and nurturing the things that bring us joy and that being a good burden. It's something that we need to be really attentive to and effortful about. Um, so I'm hoping I'm, I'm explaining properly this, this connection between good burdens and joy. I think so. I think so. And I, I have my list of 100 joys now, <laughs> which was really good. It was a really good exercise for me. At first, I thought, you know, 10, maybe 20. And then you kind of get freed up. It's almost like some stopper comes out of your inner being and you realize you become a little bit more reflective of what are the things that really do give me joy. And um, I, I like that other part of it. I like that effort part. 
because in a way that's one of the one of the things I found in the book was a kind of inviting us back into a the present circumstances we're in and how we can be more of a participant in them one of the things I found is I wanted to be your neighbor you're a good neighbor I really got a kick out of that I mean there's all sorts of stories of your neighborhood and I I just kind of got the feel for someone who um, has decided to be aware of what's around her as opposed to, uh, you know, just kind of racing out the front door and gone. And, and I enjoyed that. It challenged me, to be quite honest with you. It challenged me to be a better neighbor to my circle, my place, you know, where you're planted kind of thing. Mm, thank you for that. Can Would you be willing to share some of your joys with us? You know, what I found consistently was I found I love being with people that I love, whether mm. it's family or friends. I mean, I... And the joy of a conversation and the joy of laughter and the joy of sharing a meal together and the joy of just, you know, that kind of connectedness, I guess, was one of those things. But then it came down to, you know, silly stuff. I enjoy playing gin rummy. I enjoy, you know, yeah. all sorts of crazy stuff. I enjoy gin and tonics probably too, you yes, know, you all, those, so all those fun things that are, you know, are a, a good source of joy. Um, let me ask you how you found, like, I think you have a very strong perception of who Henry Nouwen was and there's many aspects even of what we've talked about that I remind me really of Henry how about you do you have kind of ways in which you see Henry still informing you spiritually and creatively Mm -hmm. yeah I mean as you know Karen I write about Henry in the book and specifically about this idea of holy inefficiency um, which comes from a Christianity Today article about Henry many, many, many years ago. Um, how does Henry not still inform <laughs> my thinking and writing and living? Um, I think one of the things that I, just today, like in this moment that I, I so deeply um, love about Henry was the ways in which he struggled and, and kept pressing on in the good burden of relationship even when it hurt, even when he was doing it badly, even when, yeah, just things weren't going, going his way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he, he, he continues to be a consistent encouragement to me to continue to put in that good work. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's just so much in him. It's just so much honesty and, um, Kindness and vulnerability. That's, that actually came up in my um, my book launch. I was in conversation with David Sachs, who wrote the book, The Revenge of Analog. And he was asking me about why I felt the need to or the desire to write so with so much vulnerability in Good Burdens about my own struggles, about my marriage, about all kinds of aspects of my life. Um, and I would say that the courage to do that um, came came from Henry. Yes, I love how you're describing your own writing and it, it and it's really true. That's what I found there. I found that kind of vulnerable authenticity and it's actually that kind of true line in Henry that draws people to him is the reality he says what it's like. He says who he is. He isn't trying to be something other than who he is and I, I and often he's very hard on himself, but having said that, it still is very endearing and engaging I think to all of us because we go oh that's just like me 
I get that. And I think, yeah. you know, that, that's... Henry, just me now and... Yeah, right? just me now. Yes. But I found that in your writing too. I mean, there is something, there's a great deep choice in saying, I'll share with you not all the pretty stuff, not all the stuff that's neat and tidy. I'll share with you all of it. And it just invites people into a such such a freer place within their own spirits. And I, I'm grateful to be able to say... I think you've inherited the very best of Henry's approach. I, I like that so much. Um, I love his line, to be hospitable, to liberate oh. fearful hearts. I think that's beautiful too. And and there's a welcoming in all of that. As I said, I, I love the fact you are an instructor in how to create community. Um, and I think that's so valuable. You gave me some new language. <laughs> and I would I thought it was interesting. New language for... for um, what I've thought of as meditation and solitude. Let's talk a little bit about unconstructed time. What Mm. do you mean by that? Mm. Just being, like being with others for no purpose, um, which I think happens never now. Um, (laughs) And the importance of that. So I I write about the term Nixen, um, which is a Dutch term, which means exactly that, being together for zero purpose. And um, there's something about just a state of being, which seems counterintuitive in a book about burdens, because it might seem like I'm trying to push people to just do more, be more. But that is absolutely um, not the case. In fact, each chapter is about a state of being. Um, Be grateful, be alive, be you. And so I think that a returning to, well, this comes right back to Henry and being the beloved, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. All I want you to know is to know, right, that you are be- the beloved, that you are loved just as you are. And I think it is only in those spaces of just resting and being and stopping and, and being present with others as well that we really get to a true knowing of that a true belief in that Mm. um and that's why I think it's so important you also talk about something that was uh, a beautiful phrase uh something you were called into as a as a young girl what it was to be a sanctuary for another person and in a sense that is an amazing offering we can give to anybody to be a sanctuary for them maybe you might just elaborate a bit about what that means yeah um, so I had this experience in grade nine, I was about 14 years old, where my best friend's mom attempted suicide. And it wasn't a call for help. It was a sincere attempt. And um, I had a group of teachers, I actually went to a Christian school. And I think this is very unique to this particular inner city school in Vancouver, where they they pulled me aside, I had no idea it had happened. And they just told me that I had a free pass off of school for the at least for the next three weeks to just be there for my best friend. And we actually just recently connected this best friend and Itia after she read the book. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, yeah, that was an opportunity for me to be a sanctuary for her. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what she would need. And that's what my teacher said. They said, you know, we don't know what she's going to need. You're not going to know what she needs, but you just need to be available to be there for her. And so it just gave me permission to do that. But it did feel like such an incredible privilege to be whatever she needed me to be for her in that time. And I think that's the longing of all of our hearts, right? Is 
we're just saying like, just, would you just be here with me? Mm-hmm. We're so busy. None of us have margin. The digital space is so overcrowded. There's so few moments where we're not being bombarded by incoming information or willfully choosing information, but really our hearts are just wanting to be, you know, with God, with ourselves, with others. So yeah, that's, that's why the importance of sanctuary. Do you think technology can be used to carry good burdens? Yes. Tell me how. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. And that is really what I hope people take away from this book is And it comes back to what I shared before about Pamela Pavisak's findings about how the people happiest with technology use it very distinctly. They use it in very distinct ways and they use it for purposes. They use it for caring for others. And it could be also for caring for yourself, right? You know, actively um, engaging with resources that support you, um, building community. Uh, I think communities can be begun online. I do think that we need to, you know, close the gap in terms of being in person or being as direct as possible. Um, Like, you know, we've got Facebook groups, but if you make a connection with one person, like, you know, putting that into a direct chat, building community more directly, I think is always the goal, but we can start there. Um, And then creativity, right? You and I are currently using technology (laughs) for a creative project that is this amazing podcast and also the sharing of my new creative work, which is the book. Um, We're using these technologies in in very distinct ways. And I think if we can keep those three C's in the forefront, care and community and creativity, um, and just ask that question, you know, maybe you're scrolling on Instagram or whatever you're binge watching YouTube, just ask yourself, is this helping me to care? Is this helping me to build community? Is this helping me creatively? And if not, then maybe it's time to shift your attention in a different direction. It's interesting because, um, I think one of the greatest dangers of technology is it can fill every minute and you don't have quiet that quiet is important in terms of communicating and having peace with God, but it's also the place where out of which I think creativity can really come. Uh, ideas can be birthed and, uh, mm. and, and, and burdens can be given. And I, I think some of those burdens need to come from God himself in terms of what we, we take on, um, we feel led to, what we feel called to. Uh, um, but if we have no quiet in our life, we may miss it. I don't know. That's just my thoughts. No, absolutely. And so I guess I should say on the other heel, like to answer your question, yes, I do think that we can use, you know, technology for good. Um, but I absolutely think we need to keep space away from technology on a regular basis, daily, weekly, monthly, annually, taking breaks really intentionally. Um, I'm feeling more of an urgency in my own life and I'm, I'm kind of trying to wrestle it through in my own life before I start to sort of teach it to other people, but I'm feeling an urgency around spending more hours of the day off of a screen um, than on one, which seems like should be that pretty easy. (laughs) (laughs) It actually requires some intentionality, um, at least in my own life. And there's something about skewing the balance to the real world and being away from devices that is really vital um, for grounding in what's really true and what's real. Um, even yesterday, I went for a walk and just sort of lingered 
on a walk, a midday coffee walk. Um, it just felt important. And so I think it's like, I think it's important to pay attention to those nudges because I do think that spirit, I do think that's God trying to get our attention. And I rarely feel that online. I don't know if I ever have actually felt that online, that nudge. Isn't it interesting? I think I would, I think I'd agree with you. What I found throughout your book was I could tell without having to ask you what was on your joy list. There's this longing for for the real and for the that which is um, grand and beautiful. Christina, you're so savvy about the world of technology. Uh, and in your strength, you lead others on a voyage of discovery, teaching people how to thrive in our digital age. Your latest book, Good Burdens, is one I can highly recommend. Thank you so much, Karen. I mean it wholeheartedly. I find delight in your book on every page. You call us to make hope our compass. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. It was a joy. Good to be with you. I invite you to all go to our website where you will find more resources related to today's podcast. Just click on the links on the podcast page of our website. Once again, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a thumbs up or a good review and share it with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. Until next time.